We kind of glance over these four subjects. Just in these next few, uh, next few seconds, don't glance over these subjects because we're going to have four of the most important conversations we've had this year, starting today. Um, let's have a look at these subjects. Friendship, children. Um, uh, next week, in fact, uh, Joel Ratcliffe's going to speak to us, not on children, about church. How many of us think the, the importance of the church? We believe that the local church is what? The hope of the world. The hope of the world. Uh, the, the third week, we're going to invite Phil Van Ryan. Phil Van Ryan's one of our elders in the life of our church. He's also a highly qualified teacher, and he's worked with children all his life. And Phil's going to come and speak to us about the myth and miracle of children. The fourth and final week, we are flying her in from Melbourne. Kimberly Smith, writer, pastor, author. Um, she is brilliant in her early 40s, I think. Um, check her out online. She's written a book on singleness. I know many of you are here single today. I told you back in May when we did the myth and miracle of marriage, we were going to speak about singleness. You cannot miss week four as we fly Kimberly in especially to speak to us about singleness. Is that all right? Fantastic. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about this the, this dynamic of how we connect to each other. Because what's interesting is that the thing we all long for, we most fear the most. If we can have that backlighting just a little bit more on my notes, that would be great. That which we need the most, we seem to be least capable of creating. Not one of us hasn't longed to connect to another person, yet not one of us hasn't at a time in our life felt frustrated or confused as to why making friendships are so difficult. And if we don't know how to connect with each other, this whole language of faith will become superficial and inadequate for your life. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name we thank you as we open your word that you would open each and every heart. Father, we thank you that your word is fresh and it's living, that your word would speak into the heart of each person that's gathered here or online this morning. Bring hope, we pray. Bring life and bring encouragement where we need it the most. And as we listen, as we hear your whispers, may we find a fresh sense of connection to you, but also to each other. Father, just personally, just for a moment, would you grant me the clarity that I need in this moment that I may speak your word faithfully and clearly in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Before we go any further, I do want to recognize one of our longest term members in the life of our church. Um, she's turning uh, 94 years young today and she's here with us. Her name is Mrs. Peggy Cleaver. Three cheers for Peggy. Hip hip. Hey. Hip hip. Hey. Hip hip. Hey. Fantastic. Let me start with a key thought this morning, and it's this. You show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. You see, friendship is a wonderful thing, but it's not easy. And so if you and I, if we get our friendships right, it sets us up for every area of life. But the flip side's also true, isn't it? That if we get our friendships wrong, it can also set us up for a whole lot of heartache and a whole lot of pain. You see, you show me your friends, 
And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to show you your future. In fact, King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said this thousands of years ago, exact same thing but in a different kind of way. He said it this way in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and what? And become wise. Walk with the wise and be, become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. What he's saying here is if you walk with those who inspire you, you'll be inspired. If you walk with those who encourage you, you'll be encouraged. It'll, it'll eventually seep into your life. If you walk with those who speak life, who live lives of integrity and honesty, it'll eventually seep into your life. But he's also saying, if you walk with those who grumble, guess what? If you walk with those who find faults in each and everything in life, or a negative, or gossip, or a two-faced, or compromised, eventually, King Solomon's saying, is it's going to seep into your life. He says, he say, you see, he says, walk with the wise and you become what? Wise. Before we go any further, let's define friendship. Let's define friendship. Um, human beings are designed, we are told, in the image of God. That God is a God of relationship and a God of love. And because of those two things, we are designed for relationship and we are designed to love and to receive love. It's at the core of who we are. Our lives will feel hollow and empty if we don't deal with this idea of human connection. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend, what? A friend loves at all times. You see, we learn from our friends. They learn from us. They love you enough to tell the truth to you when and if you do or say something silly. Yeah? Um, they celebrate in the good times with you, but they're also there in some of the toughest times. You see, Proverbs 17 puts it this way, a friend what? Loves at all times. Whatever you think of social media, you have to acknowledge that social media is redefining God's original plan for friendship. And although I am not against social media, I am on it. Pastor Steve Fitzalan, if you'd like to check that out, feel free. <laughs> but it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy and it's not right. <laughs> And so my challenge here today is for us to take back the lie in which you and I have been sold when it comes to social media. For example, for example, years ago, none of us in this place would ever have thought about picking up the telephone and calling every single friend that we have, have ever had and tell them what we are having for breakfast. I don't want to know what you are having for breakfast. <laughs> even more, I don't care. Let's go to the next one. I don't even care about that. I don't want to see your legs. I don't want to see your toes. And I certainly don't want to see the beach. Why? Because I start to get a little envious. I start to get a little envious. Come on. 
Come on, come with me this morning. Experts are saying this. Listen to this. Rather than becoming more concerned about face-to-face intimate friendships, we're becoming obsessed with our online image of what people actually think we are. We post our highlights real, don't we? Not the real life issues. And so we feel like we're connecting with other people, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not against it. But I do wonder, are we really connecting in that way? Let's bust some myths. It's a long weekend. I've got five. Possibly could do 20 for you this morning. Let's bust the first myth in regards to friendship. My friends will always make me happy, number one. Let's bust that one. Do I really need to speak into that one? I think you get it, right? My friends will not always make me happy. In fact, as I said before, true friends will tell you the truth even when it hurts. It will set you free. We need to hear the truth. And by the way, your friend, oh, and by the way, you are human. And being a human, none of us are perfect. Are you the perfect friend? Nobody's perfect. There will be times, and maybe not intentionally, by the way, that you will be unhappy with certain friends. And by the way, good friends forgive, right? Good friends forgive. Number one, we're going to move through these very quickly. Number two is this. My friends will always make me happy. The next one, the more friends I have, the better. It's important when it comes to friendships. Uh, Research is clear on this. I don't have time to go into it, but just very quickly. Quality over Exactly. Quality over quantity when it comes to friendships. Why? Because of time, pretty much. You and I don't have all the time to nurture each and every friend in our lives. Number three, let's go to the third one. Friendships are forever. Friendships are forever. Let's bust that myth. Can I ask you the question, how many friends do you still have from high school? How many friends do you have from TAFE? still, or college, or university, for married couples, singles, we'll get to you in four weeks, hang in there, married couples, how many friends do you still have from your wedding party? Hmm, hmm, interesting, think about that, the reality is that friends come and go in seasons, don't they, and that's a part of life, appreciate and value those friendships in that season, but don't be afraid to acknowledge when the season is over, to celebrate it, to celebrate what was, but also, and we don't do this, to grieve, whatever that would look like for you, to grieve it, but also it's important to move forward when those seasons have come and gone. And maybe, 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 one day, those old friendships might make their way back into your life. And I know some of that's happened even amongst us. Number four, number four, let's bust this one. I need a best friend. Why was it only ever just one, apparently? You see, it becomes a little exclusive, doesn't it? And people, people generally can sniff exclusivity. I'm going to leave it at that. Number five, final one. Men don't value friends as much as women. Now, guys might act slightly different when it comes to friendship, but everyone desires human contact and interaction. Men appreciate their friends every bit as much as women. And all the men said... Did you hear that? (laughs) 
Five myths busted, is that all right? Well, it's called the myth and miracle, so I better talk about myths. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks. Um, why do we need friends? I've got a few reasons for that as well. Before I get onto the two key points you need to hear this morning, I'm bursting, busting, to tell you. Anyway, I think either works, doesn't Amanda? Um, number one, why we need friends, the first of all, is for spiritual growth. For spiritual growth. As Christians, as Christ followers, can I just speak to those people maybe in the house here this morning or watching online? You don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. Maybe for you this morning, number one could be for personal growth. For personal growth, for spiritual growth, I want to speak into this morning that you cannot become like our Lord and leader by yourself, Jesus I'm talking about, by yourself. To accomplish God's purpose in your life, we need friends. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, verse 1, chapter 1 in the book of Romans. He says, I mean that I want us to help each other with the faith we have. And he says, your faith will help me and my faith will will help you. Why do we need friends? Number one, for spiritual growth, for personal growth. Number two, your emotional support, your, for, for emotional support. And of course, you know, there are a number of movies out there that we watch that take people on a journey to far, far Neverland and, or, you know, a galaxy far, and they've experienced the ups and downs, and life's a little bit like that, isn't it? And we need companions. You think about these movies, you know, these people have their offsiders, don't they, to support them. In the Bible, I don't know if you know this, but the, the, the phrase, one another, is mentioned 58 times, to love one another, to serve one another, to encourage one another, to greet one another, to help one another. But guess what? We can't do any of that if we don't have those friends in our lives. Galatians, Paul writes again in chapter 6, verse 2, he says, to carry each other's burdens. You need friends for spiritual growth, for emotional support. Number three, for better health, believe it or not, for better health. And the research is very clear on this one. It's out and about. It's over and over. It says that you will, in fact, live longer and healthier if you have healthy friendships. And one of the reasons is that friends can give you a place to unload. I'm not talking about gossip. <laughs> I'm talking about this, where James, in fact, writes, he says, admit your faults to God, he says. Admit your faults to... Did I get that right? I didn't get that right, did I? Is that... What does it say? Royce, help me. Admit your faults to who? To, to your pastor. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's not do that. It says, admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. God wired us in a way that certain things that come into our hearts and into our lives that we only improve on simply with the help of others. As the song goes, we get by with a little help from our friends. Who wrote that? Very good. Very good. The Beatles wrote that one. <laughs> Number four, why do we need friends? For social enjoyment. Who likes to have fun? Yeah? Life was meant to be enjoyed, not merely endured. And friendships are the foundation of a satisfying life, right? And so you can make all the money in the world, 
You can have all the achievements in the world and all the pleasures in the world, but if your friendships stink, your life is also going to stink. And that's why our friends are there to share, to share the joys, to share the sorrows. And number five is to reach your goals, to reach your goals, because you'll never reach your goals in life all by yourself. Why? Because it takes a team. It takes a team. And so I'm encouraging us to build that supportive team, if you haven't already done so, around you. Why do we have friends? For spiritual growth, for emotional support, for better health, for social enjoyment, and to also reach our goals. Just before I bring those two important things to us this morning, I've got one more thing I'd just really like to share, and it's on a diagram. And the writer is Kurt Johnston. He wrote a book simply called My Friends. And um, there it is. And he talks about these four different circles. You might see the outer circle, where he calls calls these casual friends. Generally, most people have a lot of casual friends, whether that's at the gym or a certain club, whether it be golf club or at work or in social setting of some sorts. And we generally have a lot of room, Kurt talks about, for a lot of friends, yet when we have a lot of friends, we have a limited influence on each other simply due to the amount of time we spend with each other. Then he goes and talks about our close friends, and he says that we don't have as many of these kind of friends, but you do have more time with these friends, which means that you have an increased influence. Then he talks about the inner circle, and this is our core friends. These are the people that we generally rely on. These are the people who love us and we love at all times. But we only have have room in our hearts and our lives for generally two, three, four, maybe a handful, and we spend lots of our time together, which means our influence on each other is high. But as we think about this, as we think about it, just keep that up there for a moment. Let's think about Jesus and what Jesus did in regards to this. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus did. Well, let's think about it. Jesus loved everybody. He loved everybody. He fed the 5,000. Yeah. He trained the 120. He discipled the 12. And he mentored the three. Anyone can name the three? Not quite, Wayne, not quite. (laughs) That's all right, we'll get to that in a moment. And so he operated in the context of a close group of friends. Paul writes about this in the book of Galatians, where he talks about the three, Peter, James, and John. Very good, very good. Not coming to you anymore, Wayne. Yeah, Peter, Paul, and Mary. All right. And Ringo's in there somewhere, I bet, Wayne. But anyway, we won't go there. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John, he, he referred to these three as the pillars of the church. And obviously it worked as he brought these three around him because he had the greatest impact on the people that he spent more time with and he developed them as leaders of the early church. A little bit of homework for you this morning as we go into our week. Who is in each of these circles for you? I've got another question. And should they? And should they? Because you show me your friends and I'm going to show you your future. 
As we move in to this next part, I want to bring two things. I could have brought so many things to you. And simply because of the world in which we live, I'm bringing these two things to you to remind us of the importance Need the important needs that we have when it comes to friendships and the interactions that we have in today's world. The first thing I want to share with you this morning, if I could share anything with you about friendship, it's this. It's to be fully present. It's to be fully present. You see, when Jesus called his disciples... He could have taught them a number of things. He could have said, look, take this book and read about it and you'll find, all out, you'll find out all about me. But he didn't. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, come and follow me. Come and follow me. What Jesus was saying in this interaction was let's do life together. Let's journey together. Let's get to know one another as we travel from town to town. Let's be, he was saying, let's be fully present with one another. Let me tell you a story. My wife and I, Karen, here this morning, and um, we have Fridays and Saturdays off. That's our weekend. Sunday's a big day for us. And Friday, kids are at school, great thing. And we go out together. <laughs> We're not, not like that. We, we go out together and uh, we have a date night. But for us, it's a date, either a date breakfast or a date lunch. Whenever we can, whenever we can. And the reason for our date lunch is because Karen's love language is food. Well, sorry, it's actually... Um, <laughs> it's a quality time. <laughs> it is, it is, but we both love it. And... Um, <laughs> and we love to eat, and we put, the so we put the phones aside, and we look at each other, and we tell each other how madly in love we are with each other, and we just can't stop staring into it, etc., etc. Now, you and I know that the reality is that we have the tough conversations there and then in the cafe. We're talking with each other. We're talking about the week that's coming. We're talking about what can we work out in our marriage. We're talking about my list, if I was honest, a few things that I bring to Karen about a few things. But we talk about the tough things in our lives together with the phones aside. And you know what we often find when we're out having a meal together as we look at other tables? Couples, friends, and whole families. Distracted, distracted. I think it was quite prophetic from the writer to uh, the Hebrews uh, who said in chapter 10, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Did you hear that? Let's think of ways. I like that. Let's be creative about this. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that there's the day of his return is drawing near. Be fully present. Be fully present. Be fully present because there is power in being fully present. Let me give you another story. There have been other times in my ministry here at the church where I've had this immense privilege to be with people in life's most difficult and delicate times where I've sat with families who, uh, who, who have either lost or 
either about to lose somebody. Younger and older, by the way. And in those moments, if I was being vulnerable with you this morning as I'm trying to be, I feel terribly inadequate. I feel a little nervous and I am feeling their pain. Yet, I also have come to understand over time that in their mind, simply me being present certainly meant, apparently, a lot to them. Now, I didn't have the answers, and I don't think they expected answers. And I didn't always know what to say, but what I've realized, and, and over time, that there is power, there is power in being fully present. Karen and I, just a few years ago, through a prompting, through certain situations that were happening in the life of the church, that we flew to Melbourne to be with a couple of the families in the life of the church. We don't do all that, sorry, we don't do that all the time, of course, but we just had this prompting that in that moment we just have to get on a plane and fly to be with those two families. We just had to be present. And these two families had younger children. And it was pretty tough going. But what we've realized is that as we show up, there's something about being fully present that's incredibly powerful. If I can just speak, speak personally, some of you know this, some of you don't, and excuse me for those who do. <clears throat> I'll never forget, I'll never forget the times that I've, when I've personally been hurting, many of you would know that I've lost my parents. I do not have uh, my mum and dad here anymore. They are partying on up in heaven. Bless them. I lost mum over 20 years ago to breast cancer, one and then the other, both breasts gone. And uh, over a period of <clears throat> 10, 15 years, we lost my mum. And then years later, five or six years ago now, I lost my father to Alzheimer's. He retired after 45 years in the one workplace and fell awfully sick. It could not have happened to two most beautiful people, uh, biased, of course. And uh, I appreciate it. I want you to know the texts and the prayers meant so much. However, however, go back to that circles, those circles. There were a core group of friends who responded immediately in both of those times. And I will never forget, I will never forget who was in that room those nights with me and my wife and my children when they were born and alive. But I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Because there's something powerful about being fully present. I'll never forget that. You see, there's also something that happens when somebody just doesn't send an email or doesn't send an SMS. When someone shows up and is present physically, when they look you in the eye, when they cry with you, when they sit, and when they listen with you, something happens when somebody gets on a plane and travels to the other side of the country to be with you in your grieving. You see, something happens when someone goes with you to watch your child get an award when they are physically there with you because it says that our friendship, your child, is important to me. There's something happens, something happens when you are fully present. And I wonder, I do wonder how different maybe you would be, how different your family would be, how different your friendships would be if you were number one to be fully what? Fully present. If I could say anything about friendship, that would be the first one, to be fully present. The second thing that I would say to this morning is this, to be transparent. It's a funny word, isn't it? 
What I mean by that is to open up. I'll press pause there and I'll say this. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. You know, over the years, we've had this incredible value in the life of our church of this idea called accountability. And it's come and gone, and I know many of you are still a part of accountability group. But experts say this. There's a new phobia <laughs> that experts talk about. There's one of the fastest growing phobias in the world, and it's this. It's the fear of talking on the phone. It's the fear of talking on the phone. You see, when your phone rings, I'm going to test you here for a moment. I realize it depends on the circumstances. I get that. Just come with me just for a moment. When your phone rings, generally, sometimes, maybe most of the times for you, you will let it go to message bank and you'll text back or ring back a little bit later on. The reason for this fear is that you cannot, you can no longer be in control. of the direction of the conversation. You see, when somebody texts you, you're in control. You know how to deal with that. In fact, you can deal with that later. You can edit, you can delete, and you can craft a response, and you are in control. You are in control when you post that message on Facebook. And we're losing that skill of face-to-face. We're losing the original design in which you and I have been created. We don't know how to share our hearts and we're drowning in our own disconnection. How different would you and I be spiritually when we get together with that trusted, remember the circles? That trusted core group of friends and we share that, that deeper sense of maybe anger or bitterness or what's happening at work and And they'd give advice and they would care and they would pray and encourage because something happens when we are transparent. I love what Craig Rochelle said at this year's Global Leadership Summit. He said this, we may impress people, is it up there? Thank you. We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. And it's not only until we open up, until we're vulnerable, and we drop the online image, and we say, here's a fear that I cannot shake, and here is a struggle within my marriage that I need prayer on, or here's a temptation that I can't overcome. And all of a sudden, you get that look back from that other person or group of person and says, oh, I'm experiencing a similar kind of thing. And we feel like, hey, we're human and we're on the same page. Why? Because something happens when we are transparent. It's biblical. It's biblical to be transparent and open up. Let me finish off by saying this. Let's go back to the beginning, back to the garden where Adam was. Because most of us think before the fall, before the fall, here is Adam, that he has no needs whatsoever because he has God. And so we give our lives to God and then we claim, God, you are all we need. We even sing songs, I like those songs, but we sing songs also that suggest this same thing. But he isn't all we need. It's a romantic truth. It's a truth that we mean that we don't really mean. He is not all we need. Hang in there for a moment. Hang in there. 
You see, in paradise, Adam had other needs, believe it or not. He needed oxygen to breathe. He needed water to drink. He needed food to eat. See how long you can go without those things, especially coffee drinkers. <laughs> well, it's probably a want, isn't it? Probably a want more than a need. But let me, no. <laughs> I see that hand down the front there. Let me say this. God placed humanity in the garden not only for a need for God, but actually to be, to be dependent on creation for our existence. And beyond that, we find our need goes deeper than just physical and survival needs. Remember Genesis chapter 1. He creates, he creates, he creates, he creates, he creates. What an incredible creator God we have. What does he say? It's good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. It's good. And he says, it's very good. Yeah. It's very good. But how, how many goods can you go through until you get to that moment where he says what? It's not good. By the way, Adam didn't say that. Who said that? God said what? It's not good for what? It's not good for what? For man to be alone. Adam, Adam wasn't alone. He was with God. It's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. We've been taught that if we have this dynamic relationship with God, we will have no other needs or wants. But that wasn't even true before the fall. Friendships. Friendships, ah, friendships. Friendships take commitment, don't they? And sometimes they hurt you. So you love people and they may not love you back. You commit to people, they may not be committed back to you. You are loyal to people, they may betray you. Oh, by the way, who does this sound like? Mm, mm. We come into communion in a moment to remember who this sounds like. You heal people and they'll probably hurt you. Humanity, humans, we are in a mess. An absolute mess. And maybe you've come here this morning, maybe you're participating online this morning, and you find that your life is an absolute mess. You are broken and you've done all you possibly can to get out of this mess. But guess what? As followers of the one who showed us the way, the truth, and the life, we are supposed to be a part of the solution to clean up. To clean up. To clean up to be a door of hope through Jesus Christ in this fragile and uncertain world. How do we go about that? Number one, maybe, maybe these two things, maybe these two things out of many, I'm sure, but this morning to be fully present, yeah? And number two, to be transparent, to open up. Because according to our Creator, it's not good for man to be alone. Why? Because we get by with a little help from our... We get by with a little help from our... Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to now remember all that you've been through, all that you have done. Thank you for getting us our focus off of ourselves. And in fact, that's the way you want us to live, to keep our eyes fixed 
on you because it's when we get our eyes fixed on ourselves, we go in this spiral of downward hurt, pain and frustration. We can't figure it out. And so, Lord, we thank you that you've helped us figure this out. We thank you that you've stepped into this, this mess. Yes, you could have written a book for us to read, but you stepped into it. Instead, um, you've walked amongst us and you chose to heal the sick. You chose to celebrate the poor, to embrace the leper, and to call out the self-righteous. You chose to be a part of the human condition so that through your death and through your resurrection, you might be the beginning of a human connection to heal the relationship, not only between us and God, but to heal the relationship between each other. Your prayer was for us to be, to be one. And so as we take this meal, as we take the bread biscuit here this morning, it reminds us of the body of Jesus, but also that it was broken, but it reminds us of our mess. It reminds us of our brokenness, that we submit that to you and you can make whole, that we can walk in healing and wholeness and mercy and freedom. As we take the cup of juice this morning, it reminds us that Jesus shed his blood for us. So we don't have to walk in that fear. We don't have to walk in shame or condemnation. But we can walk confidently in your forgiveness, in your mercy, in your calling, and in friendship with you. Thank you for these few moments that we have to remember. And we will remember in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd like to invite the team now to come and serve us as we share this meal together. Thank you. Thank you.